This is the New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast, brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Now please welcome your host, Ed McKnight. Hello and welcome along to the New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast. I am your host, Ed McKnight, and I'd mentioned a little while ago that I was going to be speaking at the uh, CEO Summit in Auckland about diversity issues on a panel with Dame Jenny Shipley, who is a former Prime Minister of New Zealand, Justine Monroe, who is a director of Z, and Mitchell Farm, who is a director of Algon. Now, I took one of my friends along, Adriana Christie, friend of the show, and she ended up video recording the, the the panel discussion. And so I've taken the audio from that and thought I would share it with you all. The key reason being that I'm very passionate about going out and talking about issues that pertain to um, New Zealand's young professionals. And I kind of want to be, be out there flying the flag about things that matter to us. The one thing I will say is that the audio was recorded on Adriana's iPad. So it is not the most amazing quality. I was keen to self-reflect about how I did. So before I went on stage, I ended up recording uh, a quick uh, voice memo on my phone about how I was feeling and what I was thinking. And then again, straight after I came off the stage, first of all, what you're going to hear is me backstage at the Langham Hotel right before I was to get mic'd up to go on stage. You'll hear the panel discussion. We haven't included the questions because uh, the audio was was pretty poor at that stage. Straight after that, you're going to hear my little summary about how I was feeling straight after coming off stage. The one thing I will say is that the audio was recorded on Adriana's iPad. So it is not the most amazing quality that we've had on here, but I thought it was important to share it. So I am at the CEO Summit uh, at the Langham Hotel. We're in the Grand Ballroom, and I am just about to be mic'd up, ready to jump on this panel, and I must admit, I'm feeling a little bit nervous, um, wanting to make sure that I can actually provide some value to the CEOs in the room. I know that I want to talk about reverse mentoring. I know I want to fly the flag for young people, and just hoping that I can do that today, but yeah, the heart's uh, the heart is pounding a little bit, and I hope that as soon as I get off stage, I can come and record a little bit about how it went, uh, what my sort of thoughts were, and some of the topics that we discussed. But yeah, as I said at the moment, a little bit nervous, a little bit excited, and just keen to keen to add some value and hoping that that I can actually do that. This is a very nice introduction. We're going to, um, and and I've got a panel here with an amazing list of CVs that I I might not be able to get through uh, entirely, so I'll I'll introduce very quickly um, the Honourable Dame Jenny Shipley, who sort of needs no introduction other than to, to, I guess, to remind people that as well as being... um, uh, Prime Minister of this country, the first female Prime Minister, um, has a fantastic business uh, career over the last nearly 20 years, um, uh, and, and in some in some very high-powered directorships indeed, including the Construction Bank of China. Um, uh, Justine Munro, Director at Z Energy, um, with, a, with a background in, in, in law and, and management consultancy, but with a, a, another a, a track record in, in this area of um, diversity and social change and, and those kind of issues. Um, uh, we have uh, Mitchell Pham, Director of Orgen uh, Software, uh, a tech entrepreneur, I guess, is, is, is a good way to look at it, and, um, and 
inevitably uh, with uh, a special interest in, in um, uh, the skills that are required to sort of make, make uh, those um, high-tech industry uh, companies work. And we have Edward McKnight, president of uh, the Auckland Young Professionals, who um, naturally enough has a focus on uh, youth, I would say, and is going to bring that perspective to the panel today. So I'll, I'll grab a seat, we'll, we'll get underway. Um, the aim is to have a discussion about the how, and we're, we're not going to delve deeply into the why of diversity. We've, we've been there and had that discussion for many years now, and we want to give you guys some uh, practical advice. Some of that stuff may come through as, as we chat. So I think if I open up uh, with you, um, Dame Jenny, um, I just want to get around the panel really and say, what, is it, what are some examples of how you have um, successfully uh, managed to um, make some of these these changes around diversity in your uh, work experience, and, and maybe some maybe some uh, some ways that haven't worked, and we could work through the panel on that. Well, thank you and good morning. Um, I think my experience uh, leads me to first say it starts with strategy, because if you haven't really thrashed out your strategy for your company or your organisation and got that right you're going to make mistakes in diversity. And the point, the only point I want to make here is in all of the businesses that I'm involved with where there's massive customer participation, uh, that customer group are increasingly diverse. And if you don't have your strategy recognizing that, you're going to spend a lot of money and a lot of time missing the point. And so I would encourage whether you're a private company or a listed corporation to see that in the strategy, the customer focus and the diverse nature of those customers, not just who they are, you know, women, men, China, not China, uh, what their expectations are. So the demographic, do older people have different expectations? And this is hard, but there are very good companies now who can give you advice to tear that apart and test your strategy. Once you've got it in place, you come back to, so who's there helping you implement it? And you start to thinking about talent. And to me, those two steps are critical around the how. If you've got the strategy right for your company, and if the diverse element is prominent, then who do you need at the table to make the difference? In my experience, getting the right people is not just getting them to be present. I've had companies, even that I've been involved in, and we've made mistakes thinking if we got a representative workforce, it would solve the problem. But actually, you won't retain those people if you haven't crossed the line between them being present to be counted, as opposed to meaningful engagement and extracting their um, insights and allowing them to feel very included in the strategy and very deeply uh, involved in the ownership of the mission. When you get to that point, you are seriously in business. So you've got the right people who are both present and engaged bringing your strategy to life. So strategy, uh, getting the right people and talent, um, making sure that you really do understand what inclusive behavior means in order to get that best performance uh, from them. And that in itself is another massive how. How do you, as companies, uh, work out how to become meaningfully inclusive so your retention rates, when you've done the, once you've done this work, uh, is uh, meaningful and it starts at the top with chairman. In my experience as chairman of a number of boards, boards need to talk about this. And it's not about our bias, it's about our insight of our strategy wanting to be successful and testing our CEOs 
Have you thought about this? What are you doing about it? Have you asked the hard questions? And I'll come back to other hard questions like pay equity within organisations, which in itself is a board and CEO question, which can lead to both attracting, retaining and inclusive behaviour if you get it right. But perhaps we'll come back to that. Um, I'll move along the, the panel. Um, Edward, Edward is, there, is there a generational aspect to this, do you think? I think there definitely is. Uh, uh, just following on from what James G was saying, you might have a lot of young people within your workforce, but you've got to get them engaged with strategy. And a lot of the time, you've got to get them out of their operational thinking and thinking more at that strategic level. So to talk about some things that you could potentially to, you know, starting tomorrow, is uh, we've seen a lot of success with forming Generation Y advisory boards, Generation Y executive leadership teams, so essentially shadow boards where you can start thinking about these strategic uh, issues and getting young people's perspectives on it. I saw an anonymous question earlier in the day where somebody said, how can we get Generation Z thinking about these issues? Well, first of all, you've got to create that structure where they can or they feel like they've got the opportunity to think about big strategic issues and give their perspectives, and then it's up to you to listen to them. Great. Um, Mitchell, you have a, a specific interest in the, in the tech sector, and that's, a, that's a, an industry that uh, often struggles to recruit. So, um, you know, what's your perspective on how we achieve uh, some of those diversity goals in a, in a very tight marketplace? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think the, the tech sector uh, <coughs> has continued to be challenged by, by uh, the size of the New Zealand talent pool. Um, ever more so today than, 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 than before. Um, and, and that's because many of our tech companies uh, innovate to really uh, supply to the global market uh, and get the, uh, the supply chain of talent that we, we have here locally is very, very small. Um, and, and so I think that there have been a number of interesting dynamics happening. First of all, uh, the tech sector in New Zealand today is very diverse, incredibly diverse, in terms of ethnicity, culture, skill set, uh, experience, background, and so forth. Uh, and, and so it is a sector that is already diverse in terms of what's available in the local talent pool. Uh, however, not all of Kiwi businesses actually know how to really work with that diverse talent pool that is already there. Um, when it comes to having very, very different people who come from different cultures and backgrounds and have different skill sets and come from different sector experience and have very, very different views, very often conflicting, especially when you're looking at some of the uh, startup companies where they're trying to innovate and disrupt. You know? So again, very, very challenging environment to, to figure out how to make very, very different people work together effectively. Um, and I think it is still a learning journey for the tech sector in, in, in that area. Uh, another area is that whilst the tech sector is very diverse today, um, what we're still lacking is actually that, that basic gender diversity. There's still f too few, way too few women in tech um, today. And that actually is a hindrance um, to the sector. Uh, and another area where we are behind in at the moment too is, uh, in terms of diversity, is actually the ability to include, to be inclusive to the younger and the less experienced part of our talent pool, where you know many companies still only look for people with five to ten years experience, and so how are we going to be able to supply to that in five to ten years' time if the people who just graduated today don't have the opportunity to engage? You know, and and last but not least, uh, uh, there's also the, the global aspect 
So many of our companies are now engaging with the global kind of supply pool of talent. Um, but again, there's still a long way for many Kiwi business to actually learn how to effectively do so. Because the average, uh, and this is a gross generalization of course, but um, we're still relatively low in terms of cultural intelligence, which is our ability as an organization, as a management team, as senior people in our organizations, to be able to be not just sensitive to, to working with very, very different people, but actually figuring out very smartly how to best get the most out of it, out them, how to deal with very tricky uh, situations when it comes to performance management and, and dealing with people from very, very different cultures and how, how to do that, you know. So, so we do still have many challenges um, in front of us. Sure, I mean, that tech sector example, the one I think of is the video games industry where the diversity uh, isn't there in the people making the games, but actually uh, women are some of the biggest, or are the biggest consumer of games when you think about um, uh, all your mobile apps and all that sort of thing. It's a surprising statistic because you classic gamer is the guy in his bedroom with the um, Xbox, but um, actually uh, women are the biggest consumers of, of, of games in the world, and it, it's not reflected probably in the way the uh, industry is um, uh, making games. But um, yeah, Justine, um, yeah, can I, can I get some of your, uh, you obviously had some quite practical um, experience in, in affecting this kind of change. Can we get some thoughts from you on how, how we can do that? Yeah, and I'd like to bring that dimension in, and it's been great to have the um, rest of the panel um, provide a context for it. But I think one, one thing I'd like to say in starting really is, is that you're all in really different places, you know, where, uh, and that, that matters I'm thinking about a diversity stand or a diversity strategy is actually, um, you know, honouring and acknowledging that, you know, some of you have been doing this for 10 years, you know, you're at a sort of, you know, um, high competence, you know, what you don't know, you know, um, some of you are really just starting and uh, it really makes a difference in how you think about this. And I think um, Jenny uh, chairs an organisation called the Champions for Change, which we work together um, in setting up, which is a really powerful grouping of 50 uh, CEOs and chairs from a real range of companies, and it does represent a diversity of experience in this, in this thing, and it's, it's worth getting alongside other organisations and finding ones who are in a similar space for you or that you can learn from and that... Uh, you as a leader and also your people uh, at the levels down through the organisation can build some really strong relationships with. I think that's critical because what works for you know the BNZ who's been doing this for many many years as opposed to you know an organisation like Z which has an extremely inclusive culture but hasn't thought explicitly about diversity uh, in the way that that you know we're now wanting and expecting it to. So uh, knowing where your starting point is important. I also very much echo um, Jenny's sense that you have to be really clear uh, at the top level on why you're doing this. Because let's face it, this is just another whole list of things you could do that are really fun and really exciting. If you unlaunch your teams and your your internal champions and your HR team and, and you know people on the floor on this stuff, and oh boy, they will find you a zillion things that you can do uh, around diversity from rainbow tech to young millennials to you know um, global food days to you know and, and, and you'll never be able to handle that. So the reality is. You have to be really clear on what you're wanting to get out of it. Uh, if it is staff engagement and general culture and making everybody feel part of it, yes, then you do want a lot of ideas bubbling up from the floor and, and, and it's all about bringing the staff in together and creating inclusivity. 
if a large part of it is actually bringing a diverse um, customer viewpoint to play or um, becoming more globally literate because you're expanding into parts of Asia, then you've got to get really focused on the sort of activities that you do with that strategic intent. So I think uh, if this is not something you, you send to your HR department uh, or, or, or just you know appoint someone and say, you look, you manage, we need to do something on diversity. If it is, you'll spend an awful lot of money and not really get clear outcomes. So it is absolutely about the CEO and the board level thinking hard about why you want to do this and you know what, what's worth it. And I think I'd just also like to say, I don't know which organisations you all come from, but be prepared, um, you know, particularly if you're in a, a listed company, um, uh, you know, with a, be prepared for directors that really don't understand this stuff. You know, uh, I, I think there, there is still an awful lot of people from an older generation that, that can nod their head and say the right things, but from the statements they make, demonstrate an awful lot of unconscious bias. Um, uh, you know, as members of Global Women, we see it, I just see it all the time, and I know there will be many women and other people from different backgrounds who, who you know, you, you, see the, you see the tick and the, um, the intention, but underneath there is often some real biases and some real lack of experience about working with a diverse range of people and what that means. So it is absolutely worth um, putting your board uh, on some courses, engaging with other boards who get really trying to build their capability, otherwise they just will not be able to guide this. Sure, it's probably a good point, of, you know, talking about from the top down because the uh, diversity on boards has been a, a big issue as well. And um, and I guess one of the um, uh, issues it raises is, um, is, 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 we might say, a New Zealand issue is, is, is the kind of, the, we're a small place and um, is, is there enough talent out there? And you, you get that uh, coming at you. And I'm, I'm sure you have, Jenny, in terms of, um, well, you know, we just don't have, have enough uh, people out there to do these jobs, and, and, and boards is probably an example, in order to have the diversity. I mean, how do you, how do you get around that, or how do you address that? To be honest, it, it's not true, but let me, the first thing I want to say is, the first conversation you need around your board is, is your organisation and its board fit for your future? So if you ask yourself that question, who's your market, where are your customers, who's on your board, and is there a connection? And are your board capable of developing a strategy with you as chief executive that's going to allow you to meet your shareholders' expectations and deliver the revenue performances? So that's critical. If you have that question and you then honestly go around your directors, your current directors, or even scope the future, what would perfection look like? What, what skill set uh, are you looking for? What lens and experience? Uh, what representation, whether it's female or uh, cultural diversity or emotional intelligence that you want around your board in order to resonate with the customers you're seeking to be your revenue source? So if you do that really well, you then can come back and say, so who do we need? And that allows you to get a serious talent and succession conversation going on. And whether you're a private company or a, um, a privately owned business and getting advice, make sure you're having that hard conversation because you'll waste a lot of time and money if, and regret it later if you don't have those conversations. The second question is supply chain. Look, Global Women and other organisations, women on boards, there's many organisations now 
uh, that you've heard this claim that no one's there. Uh, frankly, it's bullshit. If you forgive the frankness. Uh, I don't think the people who say that to me have no intention of changing, and I'm not going to waste time trying to turn their Titanic round. And I can tell you where I think they'll be in five years' time. And it won't be in the leading competitors of the world in terms of the right people. The second issue is, unless you've got your head sorted out here, uh, by the way, women now have choices. It may have slipped some people's minds, uh, given my recent experience, but women do have choices about where they take their talent. And, and so you need a good strategy and a conducive culture, whether it's at board level or at executive level or indeed in your organisations, uh, because they won't stay. You might want them there, but they won't either come or stay unless you pay attention. There are outstanding sources. Go to, go to Women on Boards or Global Women's websites. There are some recruiters uh, who are now doing a very good job if you give them the brief properly. And you should send your recruiting company back if you're looking for diversity and they come back and say, we can't find it. That's a reflection on them, not the market. Uh, and I would encourage you on the, the um, the, the, the broader concept of customers as you ask this future focus, you can afford to take a person on who doesn't have 10 years experience, but has an insight so that the hackathon or agility conversations you're trying to have, senior directors and younger people can test each other uh, in terms of their ability to serve the company well, but share their skill set and, and their mindset to make progress. So I don't buy the argument that there's no one. You look at yourselves and look at the people you know. It's the question of who you want to be, uh, what are the skill sets you've got, are you prepared to have these conversations in order to still be in business and, and make the right decisions. And if you don't know, ask people who might be able to help you there. I, I do want to say one last thing about I'm not interested in being on boards where I'm just the skirt of convenience. <laughs> uh, you know, you're doing the wrong thing if you think, gosh, I haven't got any women, whether it's on a panel or whether it's in a conversation or, or whatever. We need uh, to allow directors and executive leaders and every employee to bring them their whole selves to work. And so if you, we don't have time, but if you were to ask me what is you know, my diversity and agility lens, it's got nothing to do with I hope it's got nothing to do with how I look. It's, it's you know, uh, my, my forward view set based on my, my own experience and learning, blah, blah, blah. So I, I, what I want you to do is think about what you need. And in that last point, often I get told, and I chair two companies, one of them is really several companies, but one of them has basically a 50-50 split. And, um, you know, anyone who thinks that women think the same or are going to gang up on you any more than men think the same, again, I don't, I don't think you're ready for this conversation. Uh, in my experience, women are as uh, thoughtful and, and different uh, in the way in which they see things and contribute, and that's the point. It's not only how we look, it's the full level of engagement. So being present is the first step. But seeing that in working out who you need present, that their experiences add to your strategy and your ability to get the best out of your workforce. And these are really important conversations between the chairman and the CEO. The CEO is not only responsible for down, you need to also take an interest in who is working with you as, as a board in order for you to be able to do the things uh, you're undertaking on behalf of the company. Sure.
I mean, following on from that, Edward, I mean, uh, to avoid that kind of uh, sense of very old-fashioned sense of tokenism or whatever, is it, is it about fundamentally sort of uh, how, how we look at succession planning and identifying talent and, and, and um, how companies uh, go about that right from the start? I'm just leading on from what Dame Jenny was saying. It's quite hard because you can't necessarily appoint somebody to your board who has five years' experience. I'm 24 and I would never expect that I would be appointed to a board. But there are fundamental things that leading companies are doing so that we can get these perspectives at senior leadership and board level. So for example, uh, one of my colleagues works for ASB and he has a reverse mentoring relationship with Barbara Chapman. So he's 26 and instead of her mentoring him, he's mentoring her. So he can't be appointed to the board, he can't be sitting around the senior leadership team, but he can get that perspective represented at that level by offering those opinions and offering them um, quite seriously uh, about the wider organisation's uh, strategic issues. So I think we need more programmes like this where we can sit at a cane, where in the situation where we, we can't necessarily appoint them to the official board or to the leadership team, but what are some of the other ways that we can get these diverse perspectives at, at this level. I mean, I also think if you're trying to um, encourage more gender diversity, you know, if you're if you're male and chief executive, be mentored by a female. Same thing with, with a, a whole heap of other diverse uh, groups. How can you be mentored by them and get those perspectives at that level? Just to pick up on a point there, which I think is really interesting, it's great to hear about that reverse mentoring, and, and I've heard that a lot. I think one key thing is, as CEOs, is making sure the message doesn't get adulterated before it hits you, doesn't get, you know, put your culture packed around it. If um, I heard from TVNZ once that they actually had a sort of a young, basically they were finding that their young people had completely critiqued the media strategy in the corridor, but there was no way they were going to tell that the, the mid-management would sort of tell any of that to the bosses, you know, and um, so part of it, the reverse mentoring thing that you've talked about is making the message go straight up to the top. And because we do talk about it in the corridors, so believe me, we've pulled apart the strategies already. That's right, I think not being afraid as senior management to hear those conversations and, and, uh, and take them on board or, or discard <laughs> some, but you know, um, not being afraid to hear it and having channels of communication in both directions is, is, is uh, crucial. Um, you know, Mitchell, that, that hands-on uh, aspect, you know, the, with the tech industry, is, is, it, is it happening? Is it, is it the case that um, uh, within the tech industry you see it taking control of its own destiny there? Is it, is it finding young talent and bringing young talent through that will ultimately you know, re reflect a more diverse um, leadership? Uh, it is a combination thereof. Uh, I think um, what's really good about the tech sector today is that it's, it's as the sector is recognizing that there is a, a, an acute lack of you know, female participants, uh, there, there is you know, a gap with the, you know, the, the new grads coming through, that there are these particular diversity gaps, um, and there's these you know, international dynamics that's also you know, not, quite, not quite strong as it should be. Um, and so what we see is we see uh, a lot of tech companies stepping forward, uh, like, like, like my own organization, and, and participate and shape and, and get involved in sector activities because we recognize that, that as one organization there's nothing I can do to find more female for the board or the management team or the staff. Um, and, and some of the best ideas come from the, the staff, you know, never mind the board. Um, you know, and there's nothing I can do because 
the talent is just not there. So did you get involved with the training organisations? Um, so, so some of the really cool initiatives, um, so we, we, we're part of a, a industry body called uh, the, the NZT, the New Zealand Technology Industry Association, and there are many different activities under that. And some of the cool things are like uh, uh, women in tech initiatives, shadow tech, where, where young women finishing off in school, shadowing experienced women who are in tech companies, and, and, and also bringing tech into school, encouraging more young people to get go into tech, and then some also uh, post-graduating uh, training initiative to kind of bridge that gap between new grads and, and the five-year expectation, trying, trying to figure out exactly what is it that you are looking for in the five-year experience people. Is it this, this, and this? And many of these things can be provided by new graduates. In fact, potentially better so, because from a fresh perspective, they better understand the new consumer, you know, uh, way of using technology and things like that. You know, so there's, there's some of these things, uh, so there's a whole great range of uh, initiatives that we kind of participated in and shape as well as a match with. And so I strongly believe that, I, I don't know what the other sectors are like, but, but if, if there are challenges that is kind of pervasive across the sector, I think trying to sort out your own organization's diversity is not enough and is not sustainable. Uh, because once you've got a really good balance board or management team, a few years later, if some of your female you know, uh, members leave, you're going to struggle again to find your replacement. So, so I, I think, I think, I think there's, there is an opportunity uh, to address things at a sector level together with, with other businesses. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'd love to pick up on that too, because I think it draws out what, what, what you've said, Mitchell, and, and also Dave Tenney, is it's getting really clear you know, at a board level, at a, at a junior you know, um, graduate level, about what skills you actually need now. And that's not the skills that you know, a junior lawyer has always needed, or a junior accounting grade has always needed, it's what skills in your company at this point of rapid change, you know, the need for innovation, whatever, whatever it is, get really look hard again about what you need at this moment in time. And I think as uh, the job is, as Mitchell said, it's not just about what you as a company can do to look for that. It's about what you as an industry and what we as NZ Inc. can do about communicating um, what are the 21st century skills that we need young people to have. Being able to actually tell that to young people, share with young people what we're looking for, share that with training establishments and schools and tertiaries and we're setting up an organisation, a 21st century skills lab that, that works to do this. Um, but sometimes it, and it'll be harder for you to work out who's got this. There was a, another organisation we set up last year with Global Women called Tukutor uh, was working with Māori and Pacifica uh, uh, grad tertiary graduates and what, these, what we found in working with these graduates, and it's a fantastic initiative, I think we've got 70 internships for, you know, going for next year, so if you're looking at your pipeline and thinking, I have no Māori or Pacifica in my middle and senior management, you need to get involved with this, because this is the sort of mentoring and development that brings that pipeline. But a really fascinating thing in talking to those graduates was in, in trying to help them tell their stories of who they are and their stories of what skills they had and the skills that were relevant for employers. And many of them thought that employers just wanted marks and, and just wanted an A degree. And in working with the companies we have, what's blatantly clear is that a university A degree means almost nothing to most employers who actually want people who can think critically, who can think creatively, who can collaborate, uh, you know, who are tenacious, are resilient. Uh, 
and these kids have that in spades. You know, you don't get to graduate from university as a Māori or Pacifica kid unless you've got a hell of a lot of incredible skills. But they didn't know that employers wanted that, and they weren't telling those stories in interviews and things. So it's up to you as employers to be really clear on what you're looking for and what you want. Partner with schools, partner with others, and, and actually find that those skills do exist and can be developed uh, in the young people we have in our country. Uh, we're going to go to a, um, shortly to a, to a brief table discussion and then, then take some questions um, so that we can get this to be a bit under, have some time for some interactive uh, stuff. Uh, just, just before we do, uh, Jenny, are, are you optimistic? There's been, um, you know, at the top level where it's very visible, uh, there's been some disappointing sort of surveys in the last year around, around uh, directors and CEOs of, say, NZX50. Companies, but you know, it obviously it, it can take time as well to, to come through the pipeline. Do you see calls for optimism around uh, what we're achieving here? Oh, look, you can get frustrated, and um, numbers tell you part of the story. From, from my point of view, numbers do matter. And to be honest, we'll choose our own future as to whether we're going to be gender wearing uh, or agile and highly effective and participating in a world economy. And some of these conversations we've already had are core inputs to that. And, and I'm not going to take responsibility for trying to shape that future. I, I try and do it one at a time now, and the numbers matter, uh, in terms of the dial. I do see far more discussion. So Justine uh, referred to the Champions for Change. And these are people who know that the market's changed and that their revenues in the future are dependent on them being effective in those markets. And diversity in every part, both up and down in their companies, they know is now a key component. And this is not a corporate uh, box to tick. This is a completely entrenched element of your strategy of, of identifying and taking time to share and coach. I mean, one of the companies I chair is, is the China Construction Bank's subsidiary in New Zealand. And for me to think it could be effective, I had a very strong view on who we should try and employ. And, you know, I spend a lot of time both protecting that a third New Zealanders, a third of young people trained in New Zealand with fluent Mandarin speakers, and then a third from uh, China, so that it represents the market. But don't underestimate how complex it is being in that culture. It takes time up and down. You know, not just making the decision to do it, but actually supporting people and, and learning to hear what they are either hearing, understanding what we don't know about each other, and making time. So this is not just a you know, theory. It requires all of us, if we're really interested in the outcome and being successful, to, to commit ourselves to cultural intelligence and emotional intelligence required to make this edge and difference. Uh, the numbers infuriate me and disappoint me, but they are moving. And I just leave you with the word agility. You know, we either will keep up and lead, or we will lament the missed opportunity. And I don't intend to spend time if I can avoid it uh, being in the latter space. And I want to encourage you in whichever way you can influence to see whether your thinking and your leadership and your teams and others are in that agile, informed, inspired, ground-banking space, or whether you're going to finish up being part of uh, the status quo, which increasingly is being left behind, because the status quo is clearly not a global option given that the change that is going on. And it's flowing into New Zealand. And so it's not a matter of New Zealand and the world. We are it. 
if you look at who is here. The question is, the companies that are here, are they going to succeed with customers at home and be agile and effective in New Zealand abroad? And to me, keeping in that agile space, so what we don't know, asking the right questions, getting younger people to work up and down with us so that we, and people who we are offshore with, so we really get this edge. And by the way, it's not a conflict space. This is a race to the future, and we've got to work this out. So getting alignment, even though difference is a very important component, purpose in common, but valuing difference, and recruiting that difference, and investing in that difference so that they are engaged, not just present. The companies I see who've got that chemistry right, I'm sure are going to be here in 10 years' time. I have just got off stage uh, from speaking at the CEO Summit and it actually went a lot better than I thought it was going to go. Um, I must admit, sitting next to the likes of Dame Jenny Shipley, who was our former Prime Minister, um, you know, and seeing so much of her on TV when I was, I was just growing up, it's kind of like quite nerve-wracking, kind of awe-inspiring, um, and, and then actually almost feeling like I might be able to hold myself within, within the conversation as well. Um, it was interesting, there was one question that was asked at the end of the panel about, well, how can you possibly train up uh, younger younger members of your staff if they're just going to leave anyway? Or what, what happens if you train them and then, and then they leave? And then you've spent all this money and you're not necessarily getting uh, the rewards from it. And of course, I uh, sort of read my head and quite, quite uh, strongly, strongly put the case forward that if, if you don't develop them then that, and, and they stay, then you've just got a terrible workforce. But if you do develop them uh, and, and they leave, then they'll always come back anyway because New Zealand is such a small market that... Uh, that you might you might leave after having some development training, but then come back ten years later and be richer for the experience. But if you leave and you were never developed and you were never valued, then you won't come back. I hope that the panel discussion has sparked a conversation both amongst the CEOs who attended, but also all of you as uh, New Zealand young professionals. If you agree with what I said or if you disagree with what I said, I really want to hear your thoughts either way. Send me a personal email at ed at edmcknight.com and I'd, I'd just love to hear your thoughts and I'd love to start this conversation. As I said earlier in the podcast, I am always keen to get out and fly the flag for New Zealand's young professionals. So if you have an event or are organizing an event for your workplace or for a group similar to the Auckland Young Professionals and feel that I would be able to add some value to your organization or start some conversations, again, send me, send me an email. I'd be very keen to do it if I can fit it in. Uh, my email is ed at edmcknight.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe in your favourite podcast listening app. Until next time. The New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast, hosted by Ed McKnight and brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand.